Welcome to your Programmatic Digest podcast, your weekly roundups on top programmatic and digital news with expert interviews. I am your host, Ellen Parker, your very own Programmatic Sensei. You can find everything we've discussed today, including experts' information, show notes, and all referred articles on our website, programmaticdigest.com. And now, let's get this party started. Our first stop is an article from Jessica Davis in the DigiDay. Washington Post is preparing for a cookie-less future. The Washington Post is bringing us the Zeus platform, y'all. It's a platform that monitors contextual data, such as what articles a person is reading, what position they have scrolled to on a page, what URL they've used to arrive there, and what they're clicking on. So publishers will then match that data to its existing audience data tools, which has accumulated over the last four years to create assumptions on what the new user's consumption intent will be. So the tool can be used for display, video, native ads, and could be bought direct or programmatically. Many of us programmatic ninjas are more actively seeking new ad targeting options that can drive results for their clients in a GDPR and CPPA compliant way. According to the article, media buyers have become more open to paying more for genuinely scarce inventory, which would be the case with the assumed user intent and contextually targeting capabilities that the post is now offering us. Our next story also is from the DigiDay on the social side. Instagram is allowing big YouTubers to test content via IGTV that could or would not have been able to publish on YouTube. Some influencers are appreciating how easy the access to the the platform is and how easy the process is. So in the wake of YouTube's brand safety issues, the platform has become more aggressive in disabling ads on videos that advertisers may not feel comfortable advertising against. And this year, the company began to take the production quality of creators' video into account when deciding whether to include a YouTube channel in its Google, Google preferred ad buying program. As a result, YouTube stars are producing fewer but longer and higher quality videos for YouTube as a way to maintain favor with YouTube's recommendation, as well as increasing their income by inserting more mid-roll ads. Basically, more YouTubers are willing to test and produce more contents via IGTV because it, it takes less time and they're more likely to test new content via that channel versus if it was done uh, in YouTube it would have put at risk their ability to continue earning based on the content on its channel. Story number three is from the Media Post. Netflix remains ad-free. We believe we will have more valuable business in the long term by staying out of competing for ad revenue and instead entirely focusing on competing for viewer satisfaction. This is from a letter to the shareholders. The company said, we, like HBO, are advertising free. Globally, Netflix has been estimating a gain of 5 million. It only increased to 2.7 million. In recap, Netflix simply just fell short on their estimated numbers. We are going to keep monitoring this story. I don't think Netflix is going to consider ad revenue anytime soon. However, they are considering increasing their subscription price, maybe to make up for that loss. Our next story is on privacy and brand safety. Actually, an article from ABC News, and I'm sure you've seen the same almost everywhere across the world of the interweb. You've all heard it. You've probably used it as well. FaceApp. It picked up. More than 80 million users are, were currently on FaceApp. Here's what you may not know 
whether you're a user or whether you know somebody who was a user, that according to the policy, FaceApp cannot ensure the security of any information you transmit to FaceApp or guarantee that information on the service may not be accessed, disclosed, altered, or destroyed. Altered, disclosed, assessed keywords. FaceApp's privacy page also says they may share user content and your information with businesses that are legally part of the same group of companies. And that's from ABC News Chief Business Correspondent Rebecca Jarvis. Please be mindful as a consumer. We've covered this a few times now on previous episodes. I know we've covered some with Ashley Stevenson and we will continue covering anything that's data privacy related because it is important if you know somebody that is part of the 80 million face app users, please share this information. Let them know to be mindful when it comes to these apps. And just to end this, this article, it's from ABC News article again, quoting, it's a Russian company. So once you grant access, Jarvis ad, you're granting access to all, to all of those companies. And FaceApp was developed by a small team from St. Petersburg, Russia, and has not updated its privacy policy since 2017. When the app previously went viral after criticism for what some consider to be racist filters that lighten the user's skin tones. Remember, I've shared this on my Facebook and some of my social, alerting some of my close ones to be careful, do not use the Face app. And I've actually received 50% of the comments saying, thank you for sharing. Other 50% of the comments were, well, they already have our information. They already have our face. Yes, that's correct. They may have. Every time there's a new app out there, the technology becomes better. And it's as scary as it sounds. Be careful. Just because they may have some information now, it doesn't mean that you can just go ahead and, hey, Go ahead and come in, you know, come into my house. I won't lock the doors. No, make sure you keep locking these doors, okay? Make sure you're mindful of your information. Do not just log in with your Facebook account, log in with your Gmail account, with any apps out there. Be careful. Review some of those fine line, black on black, um, I mean, white letter, white font on white papers, privacy, privacy policies. Our final story is from the Media Post, an article on the FTC reviewing children's privacy rule. For those who don't know, or those who are not familiar with this, the Children's Online Privacy and Protection Act, also known as COPA, took effect early in 2000, broadly banning website operators from knowingly collecting personal information from children under 13 without parental consent. In the early 2000s, this law was also reviewed prohibiting companies from using behavioral advertising techniques on children younger than 13 without parental consent. According to the article, the law gets reviewed every 10 years, but the FTC is saying that because the technology and some of the tech giants are moving faster than we want them to, um, they have decided to go ahead and review, to start reviewing some of this law to see how applicable the revision are still in our time. And so the law empowers the FTC to issue regulations defining key terms, including website operators and personal information. In our next segment, Frost Prelude joins us in the Sunset's Corner to discuss a couple articles on location-based targeting. For those who don't know, Frost Prelude is the co-founder and CEO of Simplify. He's an experienced online advertising executive specializing in targeting, optimization, and technology. Prelude focuses on corporate strategy, driving Simplify's growth 
and ensuring customer satisfaction. Considered to be a thought leader in online advertising, Prilly often speaks on the topic at industry trade shows. In addition, he shares his opinion and insight about retargeting in his monthly column published on Search Engine Land. Prilu is a graduate of Princeton University where he earned a Bachelor of Science in Engineering Management System. You can find Prilu on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Simplify. Enjoy the interview. Thank you, Frost, for joining us today. We're super excited to have you. Well, thanks. Glad to, glad to be on. I am super excited to have you today. I've worked with Simplify before. Absolutely love the platform. Absolutely love the team that worked with us. So thank you so much for taking the time for us. Well, uh, happy to be here. Thank you. One of the articles I really wanted to pick your brain on was written by Greg Sterling, and it was a Marketing Land article called 89% of marketers using location data sees increases in sales. This article was based on lawless research and factual that did a B2B survey of 700 US-based mobile marketers, which included, I think, 536 consumer brands and 164 agencies. And so throughout the articles, we'll, we'll talk a couple points here about what you really think on some of the some of the results that really surprised me when the question how do you currently use or plan to use location data in your campaigns were asked 67% answered for targeting 53 for audience engagement but here's what really stood out to me is that only 24% are currently using it or plan to use location based targeting for offline measurement and in-store visitation so I know that Simplify has a pretty advanced mobile location technology where programmatic ninjas like myself can geofence a few locations and report on the conversion zone success. It is such a valuable tool to have in order to tell, you know, the cliche story to some clients that some client wants to hear. Um, what, what is your take on this particular survey result? So, um, yeah, that is a super interesting result. And I think what's happening there is that is really two things. One, uh, for many of, as you know, Simplify is very focused on localized programmatic. So we have mm-hmm. been uh, very focused on how do you get foot traffic results for even small campaigns. Yeah. Many of the attribution, the local attribution uh, solutions out there require are panel-based and therefore require a lot of uh, impressions, so a lot of spend in impressions before they can start uh, uh, measuring foot traffic attribution. And so that could be why some of the advertisers uh, may not be using it uh, on that side. And then on the other side, there's a lot of advertisers who frankly are not that interested in foot traffic. Uh, so certainly advertisers like quick service restaurants, uh, local retailers, uh, auto dealers are very interested in foot traffic, but on the other on the other hand, if you're uh, American Express or a national or a, or an e-commerce retailer where you're really trying to drive online transactions or online lead gen, uh, those folks you know may may be a direct consumer brand. Uh, they're much less interested in foot traffic attribution. So I'd say both you know both the size of the campaigns uh, as well as the uh, the type of advertiser may be sort of conspiring to drive that number down. It seems like if we're looking at B2B versus B2C, you're, it seems like you're saying B2C campaigns might be more effective when it comes to using geofencing or geotargeting for an offline attribution model. 
Certainly. It, it, it could be a B2B business as well. But, but you know, if you think of people who are trying to drive foot traffic, again, quick service restaurants, hospitality, auto dealers, local retailers, they're the ones who really care about foot traffic. And they're certainly, yeah, to your point, a lot of B2B and other types of brands that uh, may not want to send people to the door. They're looking more for a lead uh, form fill or something else. Mm, okay. Makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. So another question asked was, which of the following do you use to measure digital advertising effectiveness? <laughs> and so here are some of the results. Uh, 53% said website traffic, 50% said purchase or sales, and again, only 18% uh, mentioned footfall and in-store visitors, I mean, in-store visits. So I think it aligns with what we were just discussing. It goes hand in hand with that conversation, but I don't even know if it's even fair to ask, but is there like a solution to propose to really help move that needle in our industry, being able to really identify what is a valuable and redefining the success metric outside of the impression count or outside of just a brand awareness? What is your take on how a programmatic ninja like myself can start move that needle? Yeah, it's a great, great question. I mean, we have lots of advertisers, especially smaller advertisers, still very focused on click-through rates, so CTR, right? Yes. And so they're, they're saying, hey, how do, you, how, do you, how do you do that? And we've been, we strongly believe and, and encourage uh, advertisers to move to some action-based campaign, whether it's an on, whether it's a, uh, a um, action done on a website, like a lead form or a purchase or whether it's uh, you know physical action like actually visiting a store. So um, I hey, there's no silver bullet on that. We're yeah. uh, I think just edu- education. I think a lot of you know what I what we see is a lot of advertisers are attracted to location-based targeting for the tar- or location-based advertising for the targeting aspect, and they don't understand the benefits uh, initially that they'll have with foot traffic attribution. But once they see the foot traffic attribution and the analytics that goes, goes along with it, um, then it's kind of like they stay for the ad, they stay and they expand their budgets based on the attribution they see. Got it. And okay. Okay. That makes sense. And so, so when we talk about quality and accuracy, Sterling, the writer of the article, points out the top considerations of these marketers in working with location data partners are 62% of marketers are becoming more sophisticated and increasingly interested into uh, looking under the hood. We still have, it seems like we still have a lot of education to do and, and that's part of the job and that's what I love doing anyway. But I do, do you also see that shift? Because I found the 60%, 62% very contradictive to the rest of the results in this, in this uh, research. Do you see that some advertisers do want to know a little bit more like look under the hood versus just, oh yeah, let's just run this campaign and I trust you. Oh yeah, we get a ton of questions uh, around, hey, what, what's the sourcing of the data? Is the data opted in? How accurate is the data, uh, et cetera? So uh, you know, what, what we see is um, advertisers adopt and, and advertisers quickly become pretty sophisticated about where they're spending their advertising dollars and they want to make sure that their advertising dollars are being spent well and, uh, and the results they're seeing uh, you know, uh, are attributable to, to the actual physical results and that the cash registers are ringing and people are actually walking into stores. So, um, so yeah, we get a ton of questions on that. And, uh, and we welcome those, those questions if people want to, want to know more. We've been a very, very transparent platform since uh, day one. So uh, we're happy to, happy to say, Hey, here's where the data comes from. Here's the data that's actually driving conversions. 
uh, here's the amount of data that's screened out, uh, et cetera. That's really cool. And I think that's a good segue into our, my next point. And this is not part of the articles, but I was, I've been reading a lot of articles recently on how digital out of home is coming out and how some out of home and traditional media partners are starting to partner with the digital folks or the programmatic um, vendors. Is Simplify thinking about moving with or doing some type of partnership with a, like an out of home or um, even, a, I, don't, I don't think print paper makes sense here, but uh, with a TV station, just to, to kind of merge the two. And let me just, I guess let me just illustrate. I read a recent article, and I think it was on Marketing Land as well, where AdQuick is, uh, offers a digital out-of-home, and they tested working with one of their, I guess it was a geolocation partners at that time, and they compared um, whomever, they, they served the mobile ad the same mobile ad, mobile ad that was served um, during that time was also on a digital out of home and they compared the, the results. But is that something Simplify is interested in to testing, starting to really merge out with some traditional or even dig, tr- digital traditional media partners? Yeah, yeah, sure. So we're actually, we have been testing and working with digital at home to, mm-hmm. to in various levels for the last couple of years. And there's some interesting applications there, right? So yeah. if you're, you know, part, part of digital at home is you have a, a system like Captivate that shows ads in elevators of, uh, of office buildings. And so the idea is, hey, we're already showing ads to the people going up and down the elevators of those office buildings. Let's geofence that office building and show those same users ads uh, when they're on their mobile devices, whether while they're in the office or after they go home. Or, um, or hey, we're, we're serving digital billboards in airports or on certain roadways, and let's have a way of uh, extending the audience there so we not only we reinforce the message that a, a user may see on a billboard or, a, or electronic billboard at an airport or what have you uh, later on, on on their cell phone. So there's this audience extension aspect of it, mm, okay. uh, mimicking the same audience and the same message that they would see on a digital out of home experience. And then, you know, back to the attribution side. And then the other nice thing about marrying the two is the ability to then do attribution and say, hey, you know, the people who uh, were in this, uh, in the airport and saw this ad were more likely to visit the tourist attraction in the local area than, uh, than people who, who didn't see the ad. So, so there's really, yeah, both aspects of it and the out of home and mobile, uh, you know, out of home essentially is a location based targeting because you know exactly where you're targeting users. And so, uh, those two go very well together. That's great feedback. I do like how you you said, you know, it's a, now it's just an audience extension and we're able to have that ap- attribution result at the end or attribution measurement. So that's really cool. I'm definitely looking forward to working on some of those cross-channel ch- campaigns and, and see what it takes. All right. So the next point before we get to the next segment would be, <laughs> as you know, GDPR, CPPA, I, we've been, we've been hearing a lot about GDPR in the last couple of years, and now it's closer to home with the California Protection Privacy Act. Two questions here, I guess. How, what is your take on that? And how do you think it will affect our industry, especially geolocation because of the mobile devices that we capture? How do you think it's going to affect that overall? So what's great about being in the U.S. right now is that yeah. uh, a lot of these privacy discussions are playing out about 12 to 18 months ahead of the U.S. schedule in Europe. So we can yeah. sit and say, well, how are these things 
impacting Europe and uh, and then be in a much better position to be sure that we're uh, complying and reacting the right way as, as they hit the U- as they hit the U.S. and as C- um, CPPA comes into play in uh, in 2020. I think you know the whole thing that that's really about too is giving consumers more control and more visibility around how their data is used. And so on our side as a user of that data, uh, we need to make sure that we're we have a clean supply chain that anywhere that uh, we're acquiring data from users, uh, that those users are given a clear opportunity to opt out. They know clearly how their how their data is being used, and if they're opting in, they know the benefits of, of doing that. Um, you know what you know the, the experience in Europe um, has been there's as these opt-in mechanisms are put into place to use data, about ninety percent of users are opting in, and ten percent are deciding, hey, that's not for me, and opting out. And so I would expect a similar type of ratio as these systems, as these uh, consent management systems are put in place uh, in the U.S. Makes sense. Yeah, I would just say the one thing that's very different from players like ourselves versus the people you see in the headlines, Google, mm-hmm. Facebook, et cetera, who have been the targets is oh, yeah. company, most companies, including, including companies like Simplify, uh, are very, very stringent to take no personally identifiable data. So right. uh, we have anonymous user IDs. We don't store any phone numbers, names, email addresses, et cetera. And so, um, it, uh, and so we, we sort of operate with, with a, a different level of anonymity uh, because we don't store any uh, PII. Yeah, and <laughs> I can vouch for that. You guys are very serious when it comes to that. But I remember accidentally sending some data and everything was shutting down for the person working at Simplify. Sorry, I cannot open my computer. They have to come and really clean the whole thing. And there, everything was shut down, and I felt really bad. I was like, you know what? I we really respect you guys doing that and being so serious, but at the same time, I really apologize. I didn't see that. Well, well great. Yeah, we 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 absolutely <laughs> take that very seriously. Yeah. So now we're going to move towards the next segment where we like to shine our diversity light on an agency, a brand, a creative, or anything related that has done diversity right or wrong. So do you have anybody or anyone, any brand in mind that you can share with us? Yeah, we thought about this and, uh, and, we, and we don't see a lot on, our, on the brands because we're not a creative agency. But you know, from our perspective, uh, in our experience here, and you've worked with our, our team uh, here at Simplify, we absolutely find that it is uh, great for our success, for our culture, et cetera, to be bringing in uh, people uh, into Simplify you know, from, a, from a broad background. And so we, uh, and, and that diversity of background has really been, I think, one of the things that's made Simplify uh, successful. And, and we continue to continue to do that. It's much easier to do in certain parts of our business than others, uh, right? So it's much easier to do <laughs> yeah. in a client service or customer facing or sales area than it is in engineering. And uh, that yeah. just speaks to the need to how do we, how do we, um, how do we get a more diverse set of, uh, of people interested in, in software engineering? Uh, because right now that's, uh, that's, that's really where we need it the most. And I think I remember seeing an article that Simplify is recognized to be the best workplace for 2019. It was, if I remember correctly, from Inc. Magazine? That's correct. That award just came out, I think, about a month ago or so. Yeah, it was, and it's two years in a row for you guys. Congratulations. I remember last year working with you guys, 2018, and now 2019. So kudos to that. Congratulations. 
Well, thanks. Now we're lucky to have a good team. As I say, we, we hired, uh, some, some really good people early on here at Simplify and, and, uh, to all our benefit, they continue to hire more good people. So no, we've got a, we've got a really good team that we're proud of. So our last segment, our closing segment, do you mind sharing three fun facts about yourself in less than 30 seconds? Three fun facts. Okay. I'm a Texan who likes to surf. So even though I'm five, uh, Five hours away from the coast, it makes wow. it a little difficult. But uh, <laughs> I'd say that's hobby number one and hobby number two is skiing, which is I'm about nice. I'm a long way away from that. So I'm sort of a, a fish out of water uh, down here in Texas. But thank goodness there are airplanes and uh, <laughs> uh, and and we can uh, we we can jump on that. Um, <laughs> cool. Gosh, third fun fact: uh, what category are you looking for? I'm, other than that, I'm I'm pretty boring. Uh, <laughs> I, would, I would say fun fact is. I've always told people I think I have the easiest job uh, here at Simplify uh, because we have, uh, we have such a great group of people. So I just have to show up. Uh, and luckily, we've got a great group of folks who uh, are self-directed and, uh, and do a great job. That's really cool facts, actually. Um, Texan likes to surf and ski. That's really cool. Um, it's a tagline right there. And there right. you go. <laughs> Finally, any parting advice for any freshman ninjas, like I call them, the programmatic ninjas, getting into in the industry based on your own experience, quick to-dos and don'ts, maybe a tip that you learned along the way? Yeah, you know, the most successful people in this space uh, that we see are really self-motivated learners, like I, th I think you are as well. But I mean, one of the things that uh, that happens in this space is it changes so quickly. So quick. If you sit back there and wait for, wait for someone to teach you all the things, you're never going to keep up. And so, really, the people uh, who we see who, who who come into the come into the space and really advance and, and are successful are, are people who uh, are people who take a very proactive resource, who read, who ask questions, who are inquisitive, and really and really try to understand not only sort of the forefront and what's what's happening in the business, but actually also just the present and just understanding how things how the how the pipes work, how the mechanisms work and all that. So um I mean the main thing is read, watch videos, listen to podcasts, uh, you know, uh, figure out how to where the best sources of uh of information are and stay up to date, uh, I think would would be the main thing. And then it's funny, the other advice I, I give to to um, you know relatives and, and others who, who might ask me about it mm -hmm. is is what our kind of kind of what our, our uh unofficial motto is here mm -hmm. internally at Simplify and that's to uh to work hard and be nice. And uh <laughs> so those two things will uh pretty simple but uh but those will uh those will get you a pretty long way. I, I absolutely love that. Be kind. Kindness is free. So please be kind. That's great feedback. Thank you so much for joining us today. We learned a bunch. We hope to, you know, get back, get you back on this podcast in the next few months and see if anything changed. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Well, you bet. Appreciate it, Elaine. Thank you uh, very much. Enjoyed talking to you. Again, you'll find everything we've discussed today, including our expert ninjas information, show notes, and all referred articles on our website, programmaticdigest.com. Please take a few minutes to leave us a review wherever you're streaming this podcast and share with anyone you know can benefit from it. In conclusion, fam, we are all humans working in a fast advancing industry. So as a gentle reminder, we're not saving lives, y'all. At the end of the day, our mission on this podcast is to share knowledge, highlight diversity, and educate ourselves as we build 
this community of programmatic ninjas, or family, as we would say in my African culture. Stay blessed.